Welcome. I'm Sebastian Mafud, and you're listening to WCAT Radio, the on-air wing of En Route Books and Media, bringing you the dulcet sounds of Catholic wisdom. Good evening, and welcome to The Glories of Mary. I'm your host, Jason Brunel. Uh, the Glories of Mary is a web-based radio show focused on the theological study of Mary, the Mother of God, and our spiritual mother, Marian dogmas and doctrine, especially as it is teached or uh, uh, as it is expressed in, in, in church teaching, and um, a presentation of the various Marian devotions, such as the Holy Rosary, the Brown Scapular, Miraculous Medal, and um, the great devotion of total consecration to the Blessed Virgin Mary, uh, to specifically to her Immaculate Heart. I would like to begin this evening's program um, with a dedication to two people, two individuals. Um, uh, the first is Bob Olson. Um, as listeners uh, 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 may have heard, uh, Mr. Bob Olson was a tremendous, uh, uh, tremendous uh, asset to, to this marvelous station. Um, if I am not mistaken, I, am, I, I believe he participated with Dr. Sebastian Mahfoud in the, uh, in, in the founding of this radio sa- station. Um, he, was, uh, he has been involved, or he was, in, he was involved in radio for many, many years. Um, uh, he was a, um, a sports uh, announcer. And eventually, uh, for, and did that for a long time, and eventually segued into um, uh, offering Catholic uh, radio programs. Uh, and um, um, not quite sure exactly what the story uh, was in terms of um, uh, his association with Dr. Mafood in the creation of, of WCAT radio. Uh, but suffice it to say, he was a, a very, very, very key player uh, in the creation of this marvelous, marvelous um, um, uh, station. It, uh, he, he contributed uh, tremendously uh, as a, uh, a behind-the-scenes uh, operator. Um, he was a very much of an engineer in many ways uh, for many, many of the radio shows, if not all of the radio shows, and, um, and also had his own uh, radio shows, uh, getting to know various personalities in the Catholic world, uh, various Catholic persons who had made some type of contribution uh, in the way of uh, uh, authors, uh, books, uh, authors of Catholic books, um, individuals who had various ministries, were involved in a number of different um, experiences as Catholics, uh, a number of different uh, lay apostolates and, and, and also uh, ministerial uh, apostolates. And so um, I would also like to dedicate tonight's show to uh, my father, uh, Harold Michael Brunel, uh, who was born on this day in 1951 and who was... Um, and who passed away on this day in um, uh, 2005, uh, the same year that our Holy Father was, was uh, taken to his eternal reward. 
So it was that was a that was a tough time in my own personal life that year, 2005. I lost my biological father. I, I we all lost our spiritual father, Pope John Paul II. So um, and uh, it was just a, a tough time, uh, and it was kind of they were pretty in kind of close proximity. I remember John Paul uh, passing in in April. Uh, about pro- almost uh, or yeah, almost a month after my father passed. But anyway, um, so I, I would like to uh, uh, pray a little prayer as we begin this show this evening. Um, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful, and kindle in them the fire of your love. Send forth your Spirit, and we shall be created or recreated, and you shall renew the face of the earth. O God, who did instruct the hearts of your faithful people by sending to them the fire of your Holy Spirit, grant that we may be truly wise and ever rejoice in his consolation through the same Christ our Lord. Amen. And may the souls of Bob Olson and Harold Michael Brunel and all the faithful departed through the mercy of God Rest in peace. Amen. And we ask Holy Mother Mary, we invite you to pray for us as we offer this show. Help me to convey the truths regarding who you are and your various uh, roles as spiritual mother and precisely how it is that you intercede for us, how it is that you, our, you, you, you are our mediatrix with Jesus Christ, who is the sole mediator between uh, the Father and humanity, but how it is also true that we need a mediator with our ultimate mediator, Jesus Christ. And to help me to convey these truths, these, these beautiful truths regarding the role and the mission which God the Father has entrusted to you. And I ask this through the intercession of all the angels and saints who look to you as their queen, as you are the queen of heaven and earth, the queen of all saints, the queen of all hearts. And let us pray, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed are you amongst all women, and how blessed is the fruit of your womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. So we've begun our show. And today, as I mentioned earlier, we are going to talk about the need for a mediator with the mediator. Mary is our mediator with Jesus Christ. Um, St. Louis de Montfort explains that it is imperative that we recognize the need that we all have to, to approach our Lord Jesus Christ through with and in Mary, 
at all times, in all situations, that Mary should, uh, particularly for those who understand the significance of Marian consecration, that any time we approach our Lord, any time we pray any prayer whatsoever, we ought to do it through Mary, with Mary, in Mary, and for Mary. That this is really the most efficacious way for us to enter into any and all prayer with God the Father, Son, or Holy Spirit. And it makes perfect sense. Um, and we've, we've spoken at length in, in previous shows about how precisely it is that we are imitating each of the three persons of the Most Holy Trinity when they uh, uh, freely uh, chose to, be de- to become dependent on the Blessed Virgin Mary. And granted, it, it, is a, it is a dependence that is purely hypothetical, which means that it is not a necessary dependence. In no way, shape, or form are we stating that the, that God, who is omnipotent and omniscient, or another way of saying that, God who is all-powerful or, and all-knowing, there is no, uh, it, or I should say it, it is an absolute truth, that this God who is indeed all-powerful and all-knowing, and who really uh, is the sum of all perfections, um, that this God uh, would in no way be dependent upon any other being. Uh, it actually, to, to, to make the assertion that God was necessarily dependent or is necessarily dependent on any other creature or being, uh, regardless of how exalted or how powerful that being might be, um, that would essentially rob God himself of his own divinity. Um, It is of the very essence of God that he not be dependent upon anyone or anything outside, above, or beyond himself. God is entirely self-sustaining. He is entirely sufficient, uh, self-sufficient. He depends on no one for his existence. He is the author of both space and time and therefore is outside of both space and time and, ex- and exists in what some have referred to, some philosophers have, re- have referred to as the eternal now, the eternal present, uh, which is indeed beyond the realm of space and time. Um, God had no beginning. God uh, always was. There was never a time when God did not exist. That is a concept that no human being can wrap his or her mind around because the way that human persons understand anything whatsoever is to, uh, well, I should say, St. Thomas Aquinas uh, did, did the church and humanity such a tremendous service in sharing his, the, the tremendous gift of his brilliance with the church and with humanity and uh and he uh he left a, <clears throat> a permanent and lasting testament for us in his marvelous marvelous uh just probably the single greatest 
uh, intellectual contribution to humanity in the history of humanity, uh, uh, right up right up there with the greatest minds who ever lived, who ever graced the earth with their presence. Uh, Thomas Aquinas did borrow extensively from who he refers to as the philosopher, that is to say, Saint, uh, I'm, <laughs> I'm calling him a saint, he's, he's not a canonized saint, but um, I'm sure that the church, uh, 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 or I should say many, many, church, many, many, people, many uh, academics in the church certainly probably would canonize him uh, if, if, if they could, but um, he was an ancient Greek philosopher, and uh, he was Aristotle. Aristotle was the philosopher, and Aquinas had the utmost respect for uh, Aristotle, both as a as a person, and uh, even more so as 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 probably the greatest uh, intellectual who ever walked the face of the earth. So so uh, the the regard that that we Catholics uh, in academia have for Aquinas is the regard that Aquinas himself had for Aristotle. Uh, Aristotle single-handedly um, discovered the entire, uh, he discovered all of the essential principles uh, by which uh, human thought, logical human thought, uh, 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 operates. For instance, he, uh, Aristotle single-handedly devised the three most foundational and fundamental rules of all logical thinking. Uh, those three rules, uh, and um, I will, I'll, just, I'll just state them here, but they are the, the, the principle of non-contradiction, the principle of the excluded middle, and the, um, uh, what's the third one? Um, the principle of non-contradiction. Uh, a thing cannot sim simultaneously be and not be at the same time and in the same respect. Um, the law of identity, uh, which, which states very simply that a thing is what it is, and the, the principle of the excluded middle. And that has to do with um, uh, syllogisms, uh, which uh, to a very... Sim overly simplistic definition of a syllogism is a simply an argu a, 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 an argument. Um, if um, if the grass is wet in the morning, then it rained the night before. The grass is is wet in the morning, therefore it rained the night before. That is an example of a syllogism. Or if um, if all kittens are cats, and if all cats are animals, then all kittens are animals. And um, in the in the in that in that situation, we have um, the 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 word cat would be the would be the middle term, and um, and that's what we're referring to when I talk about the law of the excluded middle or the principle of the excluded middle. Uh, each each of the terms has a name, and the and the uh, regarding uh, or depending upon the um, type of uh, or the, depending upon the form of the argument, um, we can have a. It is possible to have a 
a valid form. Uh, it is, uh, or I should say, in, in order for an argument, and, and this is all, again, Aristotle discovered all of this, in order for a argument to be sound, that is to say, uh, a valid form with consisting of, of a major premise and a minor premise, both of which are true, um, then the, if, if, if the major premise is true and the minor premise is true and, and it takes a valid form, if the syllogism takes a valid form, then the conclusion necessarily follows and is true as well. Uh, it is possible to, to just simply uh, plug in various terms using a valid form of an argument and to have a, a, um, a valid argument that comes up with a conclusion that necessarily follows but is not true. And we would call that a valid argument. But an argument that is, that is both valid in its form and that is also uh, that also contain, contains uh, uh, true premises um, will necessarily give rise to a, or will result in a true sound, uh, a, true, a true conclusion. And that is what we refer to as a sound argument. A sound argument is both valid in form and it contains true uh, premises. So, that, uh, so yes, getting back to what I was saying before, um, Aristotle was a tremendously gifted man uh, who lived so very long ago, um, approximately 300 years before Christ. And um, uh, Aquinas just gave us such insights uh, when, when Aristotle's writings were uh, translated uh, Aquinas and, and, and when uh, Aristotle was the, one of the first uh, churchmen to to uh, really wade through the writings of Aristotle and, and discover just how incredibly brilliant this man was and the treasure trove of wisdom that was contained in his writings. And thus he created this amazing synthesis of Aristotelian philosophy um, and, and Christian theology, uh, which is largely uh, contained in the Summa Theologia, which is probably the work that Aquinas is, is best known for, but there are many, many other works um, that St. Thomas Aquinas uh, uh, created. Um, there, there's another uh, multi-volume work uh, that he wrote called the, the Summa Contra Gentiles, and um, that is also a, a truly masterful work. Um, his commentary on the sentences of Peter Lombard, which was uh, kind of a, 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 an academic staple in his day. Um, I think it was, I think in order to, gra I could be mistaken about this, but I think in order to graduate in the Middle Ages, um, well, let's, let's go back even further and, and let's assert that, the, make the true assertion that the entire university system was founded uh, by the Catholic Church. Every university was a Catholic university. Uh, the, the, very, the very first colleges and universities that came into existence were specifically Catholic colleges and universities. Um, and the entire university system and the, and the 
the various types of, of, of collegiate d degrees, uh, the Bachelor of Arts, the Master's Degree, the Doctor of Philosophy, these all, these all derive from the, the, the Catholic tradition of the university system. And to, uh, to, if, if you're interested in this topic, I very much encourage you to, um, to read the writings of uh, Cardinal Newman, who just, uh, had, he, he's written some marvelous, marvelous, uh, uh, some marvelous documents and, and, and um, some marvelous works on, on, on Catholic education and Catholic higher education and the meaning of a university, um, uh, the goals of a, of a Catholic university. Um, he has uh, got, uh, Cardinal Newman, actually there are a number of, uh, I'm sure many listeners have heard of Newman centers, which are located on many, uh, Catholic, many, many college campuses, even if they're not Catholic. Actually, I should say especially if they're not uh, Catholic schools. Uh, Newman centers are basically, uh, they're named after Cardinal Newman, um, and they are they have become the they become the the Catholic presence uh, on a college campus uh, when that college campus is is not uh, uh, Catholic. Uh, you know, it does not have in its mission statement uh, the goal of providing a specifically Catholic education to its students. So for those um, secular universities and colleges out there, um, the you have many. Newman Centers, which, which um, the whole mission of the Newman Center is to create an, uh, uh, a Catholic presence on campus. Uh, typically, it is comprised of a, a chapel where daily mass is offered, um, a, uh, some type of a library where uh, th that is that is specifically theological and, and philosophical in nature uh, that provides um, really marvelous uh, books uh, that might be uh, difficult to find in, in, a, in a traditional uh, college uh, a library um, that is not that doesn't have a Catholic focus and um, it also and some some depending upon w uh, which college it is, depending upon the resources that are available to uh, any given Newman Center, there may be even more. Uh, there there could be. I know of one the the Newman Center at the University of Massachusetts Amherst campus has an entire cafeteria in its basement, a very large, large cafeteria. And so it's, it's a wonderful place. It has a beautiful chapel. It's, it's more than a chapel. It's actually the size of, uh, it, it, it holds, it's, it's actually larger than some churches I've seen. It's a very significantly sized Catholic uh, chapel slash church. Um, and they have a very strong presence um, on uh, UMass campus. So it's a marvelous thing. But um, getting back to the, the, uh, the topic for today's conversation regarding our Blessed Mother, we are, this is going to be the ninth show 
um, in our series of uh, shows d uh, dedicated to reading through and exploring or plumbing the depths, if you will, of the marvelous, the, what I certainly would consider, what many consider to be, the single greatest treatise on devotion to the Blessed Virgin Mary, uh, St. Louis-Marie Grignon de Montfort's True Devotion to Mary. And as I stated earlier, the topic for today's um, discussion will be we need a mediator with our mediator with a capital M, Jesus Christ. And so I will begin reading, uh, picking up on chapter, or I should say, paragraph 83 in True Devotion to Mary, uh, in this version of the booklet, which is the one that I use, is the hardcover, leather-bound copy that is published by, it's published by Baronius Press. Um, I believe Baronius Press is a relatively new publishing house. Um, I believe they were founded in the year 2015, and the copyright for this particular book is indeed 2015. This edition is, it was first published in, two, I'm sorry, uh, this was, Baronius Press was, I think it was founded in 2006, I take that back, uh, 2000. this edition is, uh, has a copyright of 2015. So paragraph 83. Fourth truth. It is more perfect. And well, what he's referring to is, uh, let me go back a few, a few articles. This is the, we're on the fourth article, but let's go back just a few articles to place ourselves within a, within a context. So we are in chapter 2. And the heading for chapter 2 is Fundamental Truths Concerning Devotion to Our Blessed Lady. And he states in paragraph 60, 60, Having thus far spoken briefly of the necessity of devotion to our Blessed Lady, I must now state in what this devotion consists. This I will do with God's help when I have laid down certain fundamental truths which will throw light on this great and solid devotion which I desire to disclose. And he proceeds with the articles. Article 1. Jesus Christ is the ultimate end of all devotion to Our Lady. And that is the first truth. Um, and he underscores the reality that Mary never keeps what we give to her for herself. That it is impossible for Our Lady to keep for herself anything that is given to her. Uh, when a soul makes an act of entrustment or consecration to her, she necessarily leads that soul to Christ. Article 2, uh, in paragraph 68, the second truth. We belong to Jesus Christ and to Mary as their slaves. And this was uh, an explanation of the, the distinctly Montfortian concept of consecration. Uh, he emphasizes 
the analogy of a slave that that to belong to our lady or or that in in his, it was his in his estimation the most perfect uh, analogy if you will uh for this this devotion of total consecration uh in his mind is slavery uh just as a slave uh is not free to do as he or she wishes just as a slave is the property if you will of his or her master uh so too we are the property of 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 jesus and mary um or i should say of jesus through mary um just as a slave cannot do as he or she pleases but must carry out the will of his or her master so too through this gift of consecration to mary that we make to jesus through mary um we no longer belong to ourselves we belong to our lord and and we belong to our lord specifically through our lady so uh we must use our lady uh at all times whenever we approach our lord whenever we decide to approach our lord in prayer we must do so through with and in the heart of mary the third truth or article is that we must empty ourselves of whatever is evil in us um and Munford talks about the necessity of or how 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 ridiculous it would be to place new wine in old wine skins and this is taken straight from the gospel this is not something that may, we have great familiarity with because we don't use wine skins uh, we our wine comes to us in a, in a very nice glass bottle <laughs> and so we don't have to worry about old wine skins skins bursting at the seams and and uh and losing all of our new wine so uh but but this this was the situation essentially um uh uh de Munford is talking about how because of the because of our fallen nature because of original sin even the best of our actions and the best of our intent, intentions are are almost always tainted with some degree of 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 selfish desire um there is there is no such thing uh for all intents and purposes as a as a purely good human act uh without uh without it being offered through within in the blessed virgin mary uh, unless we have totally consecrated ourselves to the blessed virgin mary there really is no way that we can uh be sure of offering to the lord uh a good deed uh, a meritorious deed that is completely uh, without spot or wrinkle uh, only our lady is 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 immaculate only our lady our lady was the only human being ever aside from our lord himself our lady was the only human being ever conceived without original sin um certainly our lord was clearly conceived without original sin um 
and St. John the Baptist, uh, whom, who, who, who received the, the, uh, the miraculous uh, action of our Lord, uh, working through, with, and in Our Lady, who, 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 while he was still in the womb, according to de Montfort, uh, performed his first miracle of grace uh, in the heart and soul of St. John the Baptist, who at that time was in the womb of Mary's cousin, Elizabeth, uh, her kinswoman, Elizabeth. Um, immediately after Mary found out uh, from the archangel, Gabriel, that she would conceive uh, the Christ child, uh, she, and, and immediately after being told by the angel, uh, the archangel Gabriel, that um, she, uh, that, that Elizabeth in her old age, uh, that she who was thought to be barren is now in her sixth month, uh, uh, and, and the, the, the angel was informing Mary of this to, uh, to, as, as evidence uh, to, to back the, uh, the angel's uh, statement that with God all things are possible. Uh, even a, a woman who is past the age of childbearing, a woman who had undergone menopause, a woman who uh, was thought to be barren and, and had, never, had never born or had never bore a child. Uh, she, so, so she had two, two things that would prevent her from bearing a child. One, she was sterile. Uh, she could not conceive a child with her husband, uh, uh, Zechariah. Uh, they, had never, they had never had children when she was uh, prior to menopause. Uh, and so there were really two, two tremendous obstacles preventing her from bearing a child. Uh, she had never done so before uh, and was thought to be sterile and also was past the age of childbearing. She, she was past her menopause. Uh, a woman is born with a fixed number of eggs uh, in her ovaries. And um, when, that, when those eggs have been depleted, that is precisely what sets the, um, the, the biological mechani- feminine mechanism of menopause into motion. And a woman can no longer bear a child. However, we know God can suspend the laws of nature. And uh, now, God, God is, is, is never, God never defies science, but he can go above and beyond science. God never defies human reason, but he can go above and beyond human reason. God, and, and this, is, this is actually the, the strict definition of a miracle. A miracle is when God suspends the laws of nature and physics and goes above and beyond them. Uh, and he can, he can and he does uh, do this. And there have been countless, countless individuals who have been healed of every malady that you can possibly conceive of. And these, these miracles, uh, many of them are, 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 are have, many of them have been chronicled 
and it have been attested to by doctors and, and uh, by scientists. Uh, the Lord's commission for, for miracles, uh, there is, there is uh, a specific uh, commission that has been set up in Lourdes, uh, um, France, where St. Bernadette uh, saw Our Lady. And um, people who wash in the miraculous spring that, that, that miraculously gushed forth, Our Lady, Our Lady told Bernadette to, to dig in the ground and and so Bernadette did as she was told, and the uh, certainly the onlookers who were present uh, thought that Bernadette had gone completely mad. Here she was claiming to see the Blessed Virgin Mary, claiming to be able claiming to be able to speak to this apparition that no one else could see, no one else could hear, and so uh, not unlike someone who suffers with schizophrenia who uh, is um, reacting to the internal stimuli of their imagination uh, when they uh, speak back to the, uh, the delusional voices that they might be hearing that nobody else hears. Uh, it is very, I think many people at that time did indeed think that Bernadette had lost her mind and uh, that she was simply uh, uh, you know, speaking to herself, uh, responding to internal stimuli as opposed to external stimuli, uh, namely other people who are speaking to us um, that we can see, that other people can see and hear. Um, but when it comes to um, private revelation, when it comes to Marian apparitions, uh, Our Lady, very often, if we look at all of the various approved Marian apparitions, and even uh, the very significant uh, Marian apparition uh, in my mind that has not been approved officially, has not received official uh, approval from the church, uh, Medjugorje, uh, the, and, the, and the six, six uh, young adults who have been receiving apparitions of Our Lady allegedly on a daily basis. Um, my reason for mentioning them is only because when you look at all of the, the approved revelations, the approved apparitions of Our Lady, Our Lady generally appears to young, innocent, um, very, very simple uh, shepherds who, who, who have very little, very little in the way of education, very little... Uh, in the way of material possessions, who live in areas of the world that are so so incredibly remote that it can it can it can be almost virtually impossible to uh, for for pilgrims to get to these to make their way to these sites. Um, um, I will refrain from speaking about Medjugorje because it is not yet approved, um, and. Uh, and I, I have no idea whether it will or will not be. Um, I myself did have a marvelous experience, but you know, certainly Our Lady can work through any any situation, and 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 can and, and that I mean that's the whole that's the reality of divine providence. God can can certainly create tremendous good from from even something that is in in and of itself a, a great evil. 
uh, and the perfect, the most perfect example of, of, of divine providence is, is the crucifixion of our Lord. There you have the greatest of all evils, deicide, the, the death or the murder, the murder of, of, of the second person of the most holy trinity, the murder of God, deicide, the death of God, the murder of God. Just as patricide is the death of, or the, the murder of one's father, homicide is the, mur- is the murder of, of any other human being. Um, matricide is the murder of a mother. Uh, fratricide is the murder of one's brother, whether it be a biological brother or one's brother in Christ or, or uh, a fellow human being. We often refer to each other as, especially close friends, refer to each other as brothers. But God bringing good out of what is truly a, a, a grave evil. Um, for instance, when people fornicate, uh, and engage in uh, illicit and immoral uh, uh, sexual activity that is supposed to be restricted to the confines of, of sacramental marriage between one man and one woman. Um, uh, yet, uh, many, many, many human beings have come into existence through uh, the conjugal relations of, or through the sexual relationship of, uh, or, or of, of individuals who were not married at the time of the conception. Clearly, God had that individual, that the, the, the person who is the product of that, of that morally illicit union is just as much desired by God, and, and actually God had that person in mind from all eternity. I mean, that, that is the, that, that's a, a beautiful illustration of, of, of the divine providence of God, that, that somehow, even through the wayward exercise of the, of the gift of freedom of will, even when we choose in a manner that is not in accord with the actual and express will of God uh, as it pertains to his desire for our uh, to, to, to live, live in accordance with the Ten Commandments and the natural law, even should we choose in a manner that is uh, contrary to his direct actual will, um, in his permissive will, he permits that the consequence of certain sins will indeed be in conformity with his grand design. And that is the reality of divine providence. So, we talked about those. I, I keep getting off track. Please forgive me. I beg your forgiveness. Um, and as usual, I have uh, uh, expounded upon these various other issues. But let us use the last... <laughs> the last a quarter of our show to at least introduce this idea that we need a mediator with our mediator, Jesus Christ. In paragraph 83, the fourth truth, we read the following from St. Louis de Montfort. It is more perfect because more, um, it is more perfect because more humble 
not to approach God by ourselves without taking a mediator. Our human nature, as I have just shown, is so corrupt that if we rely on our own works, efforts, and preparations in order to reach God and please Him, it is certain that our good works will be tainted, or that, I'm sorry, or they will be of little weight before God to induce Him to unite Himself to us and to hear us. For it is not without reason that God has given us a mediator with His majesty. He has seen our unworthiness and our inability. He has had pity on us. And to give us access to his mercies, he has provided us with powerful intercessors with his majesty, so that to neglect these mediators and to approach his holiness directly and without any recommendation is to fail in humility and in respect towards God, who is so high and so holy. It would be showing less esteem for this king of kings than we would show for an earthly king or a prince whom we would not wish to approach without some friend to speak on our behalf for us. Paragraph 84. Our Lord is our advocate and mediator of redemption with God the Father. It is through him that we ought to pray with the whole church triumphant and militant. It is by him that we have access to God's majesty, before whom we ought never to appear unless supported by and clothed with the merits of his son. Just as the young Jacob just as the young Jacob came before his father Isaac clothed in the skin of the kids. I'm sorry, I'm receiving some uh, interruption. Please forgive me. Um, the, the, the glitches of technology. Um, so it looks as if... Um, it appears as if um, Louis de Montfort is having... is, is, is speaking of the, the, uh, the Old Testament uh, account in the book of Genesis, uh, regarding um, uh, Jacob, uh, Isaac's son, uh, his younger son, um, uh, so Jacob's father, uh, well, Abraham. When we speak of God, we speak of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Um, Abraham is our father in the faith. Um, and uh, and there, there are a few reasons for that. Um, well, there are two primary reasons in, in my mind. Um, one, he, uh, it, it was with Abraham uh, that God established his, 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 uh, his covenant uh, to, you know, I will be your God, you will be the father of many nations. Um, if you do as I command, um, your 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 descendants will be as numerous as there are grains of sand on the seashore. Your your descendants will be as numerous as there are stars in the night sky. Now, clearly, um, 
no one can count. You, it's impossible to count the grains of sand on a seashore. It's impossible to count the stars in the night sky. Um, however, this this is and it, these are marvelous uh, analogies to uh, to describe just how uh, abundant, just how magnificent in number uh, Abraham's descendants would be. And uh, this this was was truly um, uh, a miraculous uh, intervention uh, on God's part, uh, as as we spoke earlier about um, um, Elizabeth, Mary's kinswoman, uh, being both barren and past the age of childbearing. Well, the same. Uh, this is a, re- a recurring motif uh, throughout sacred scripture, um, and uh, in many ways, it, it, it is a uh, it's 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 a form of typology. Typology is 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 what um, uh, scripture scholars use. It's it's the, it's a term that scripture scholars use to speak of um, biblical realities that um, foreshadow Christ and or his words or works um, just as a um, just as a, a a writer use uses the the literary device of foreshadowing uh, to 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 kind of plant into the reader's mind uh, a, a kind of an idea as to what's coming ahead. Um, it's a literary device. Uh, well, you can think of history as God's story or his story, which is, and, and that's what the word, his, that's, that's the word history, his story. So history is his story. It's God's story. And in God's story, in his story, um, God uh, doesn't simply use the literary device of foreshadowing. He uses the historic uh, and, and uh, literal device of typology, whereby various persons in the Old Testament, uh, various persons and various deeds that they perform foreshadow the person of Jesus Christ and the and, and the various works that he performs. Um, um, it's it's a, it's a marvelous reality that only God, in His omnipotence and in His omniscience, could possibly bring about. Again, divine providence, the ability for God to work through, with, and in human affairs and to completely respect the free will of individuals and, and, and still bring it about that even when individuals are not exercising the freedom that they've been given, uh, even when individuals are... are using their freedom in a perverse way, in a manner that is not in accordance with the purpose for which it was given to them, that God is still capable 
of bringing tremendous good and ultimately his ultimate grand design for all of creation is fulfilled um, and 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 this and this is why we do believe in the doctrine of predestination um, the 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 predestination is a truth uh, and, and it has to do with the 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 sovereignty of God it's really rooted in the sovereign nature of God God can do whatever he wills if God chooses to give a soul the gift of election then he and then he will give a soul the gift of election and and uh, you know if he chooses to inundate certain a certain soul with with tremendous graces um, and additionally affords it takes grace to respond to grace it takes um, and, and this is really why we cannot take credit for anything that we do uh, any good that we do I should say uh, we can we certainly can take credit for the evil we do uh, but that's literally all we can ever take credit for and, and that's incredibly humbling when, when a person truly wraps their head around the truth that they can take no credit whatsoever for any of the good that they do because number one in order to do good we must first be grafted to Christ uh, just as uh, in order to bear fruit uh, we uh, like like a branch uh, attached to a vine uh, in order to in order for a great just as a just as grapes grow off the branches that are grafted to the vine so too any good fruit that we bear as members of Christ's mystical body uh, any good fruit that we bear is a consequence of the fact that we are grafted to Christ um, a branch that that is broken off of the vine, that is not rooted, uh, that is not rooted in or grafted onto the vine, will wither and die, and is good to be thrown into the fire. And that's essentially what we're good for when we cease to produce good fruit uh, because of our having separated ourselves from. Jesus Christ and his mystical body the church which is the vine um, it is literally impossible for a branch that has been broken off of off of, of a tree or a vine to bear any fruit it's not going to happen it's impossible and so too with us it is not possible to produce any good fruit in the way of good deeds or meritorious deeds um, um, it is not possible to do any good whatsoever without being firmly attached to Christ who is the mystical vine um, so our human nature is corrupt if we rely on our own works efforts and preparations in order to reach God and please him it is most certain that our good works will be tainted or they will at least be of little weight before God to induce him to unite himself to us and to hear us for it is not without reason that God has given us a multitude of mediators with his own majesty he has seen our unworthiness 
and our inability. He has had pity on us. And to give us access to his mercies, he's provided us with powerful intercessors. So that to neglect these mediators and to approach his holiness directly, and people say this all the time, well, I want to go directly to the source. But to do this, to, to dispense with the mediators that he has set up specifically for this person is to fail in humility and in respect towards God who is so high and so holy. It would be showing less esteem for this king of kings than we would show for an earthly king or a prince who we would not want to approach without some friend to speak on our behalf. Our Lord is our advocate. Our Lord Jesus Christ is our advocate and our mediator of redemption with God the Father. It is through him that we ought to pray with the whole church triumphant and militant. It is by him that we have access to God's majesty before whom we ought never to appear unless supported by and clothed with the merits of his Son, just as the young Jacob, son of Isaac, came before his father Isaac, clothed in the skin of the kids, uh, the, 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 the young sheep, to receive his blessing. So Isaac was pretending to be his brother. Isaac was pretending to be his brother in order to receive the blessing that would enable him to receive the birthright of the firstborn son. And his mother assisted him. This was in accordance with God's will. And in paragraph 85 we read, But do we not need a mediator with the mediator himself? Is our, is our purity great enough to unite us directly and of ourselves to him? Is he not God himself in all respects equal to his Father and consequently the Holy of Holies, just as worthy of respect as his own Father? If in his infinite charity he became our surety and mediator with God his Father in order to appease him and to pay our debts as he did, are we on that account to have less respect and less fear for his holy majesty and his holiness, Jesus Christ, Savior of humanity, Redeemer of mankind, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, one in being with the Father? Jesus is just as divine as his heavenly Father. If Jesus is our mediator with the Father, as is the case, we know that to be true, then, we, then certainly Jesus, yes, Jesus is, in fact, our mediator with the Father. But the reality is that he is just as much God as the Father is. Yes, he's the second person of the Trinity. Yes, he is eternally begotten of the Father. But as I just stated, uh, reciting the, the Nicene Creed, God from God, 
Light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, consubstantial with the Father. Consubstantial, con means with, substantial means substance. God the Father and God the Son share, or they are of the same divine substance. They are both equally divine. They are both God. Both persons, all three persons of the Trinity are divine perfectly divine. They are all fundamentally and substantially God. Each divine person is God. And if that is the case, then doesn't it seem to make sense that if we need a mediator with the Father, and if Jesus Christ is just as much God as the Father is, doesn't it make sense that we would need a mediator with Jesus Christ as well? A go-between? And moreover, if Jesus Christ is the head of the mystical body, as he is, and if we are the members, as we are, the body of Christ, is not a head connected to a body through the intermediary of, of a neck? Does not the body communicate, or I should say, does not the, the, the brain, the head, communicate with the body through the neck? And vice versa, does not, the, does not the body communicate with the brain through the spinal column, which makes its way up the neck and attaches to the brain? Communication between the head and the body of every human person takes place through the neck. Is it any wonder then that the church fathers referred to Mary as the neck of the mystical body? She is our go-between. She, she was chosen by Christ as the vehicle by which he would enter into humanity. And we, as Christians, who take Christ as the exemplar of every single thing that we are to do, uh, Christ is our supreme exemplar. He is our supreme model. As Christians, it, is the, it should be the goal of our entire lives to emulate Christ in every mystery of his life, in all things, what would Jesus do? What would Jesus do? We imitate him in everything. Should we not also imitate him in choosing the Blessed Virgin Mary as the way to return to him, just as he chose the Blessed Virgin Mary as the way to come to us? Let us then say boldly with St. Bernard, Bernard of Clairvaux, that is, that we need a mediator with the mediator, the capital M mediator himself, Jesus Christ. And the divine Mary is the most capable of fulfilling this charitable office. It is by her that Jesus Christ came to us, and it is by her that we must go to him. If we fear to approach directly Jesus Christ, who is God, either because of his infinite greatness or because of our lowliness or our sins, let us implore without fear the aid and intercession of Mary, our spiritual mother. She is kind. She is tender. There is nothing austere or hard in her, nothing too sublime or too dazzling. 
When we see her, we see our own human nature. She's one of us. She is not the sun itself, which by the brightness of its light could blind us because of our weakness. Rather is she the sweet and gentle, rather is she sweet and gentle like the moon, which receives the light of the sun and softens it in order to adapt it to our limited capacity. She is so loving that she rejects none who beg her intercession, however sinful they may be. For, as the saints say, never has it been heard since the world existed that anyone, never has it been heard that anyone who fled to her protection, implored her assistance, or sought her intercession was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, we turn to thee, O Virgin of virgins, our mother. To thee we come, before thee we kneel, sinful and sorrowful. O Mother of the Word incarnate, despise not our petitions, but in your great mercy, hear and answer them. Amen. That is the glorious prayer, the Memorare, which we recite so often because we know how powerful Our Lady is as an intercessor between our Lord, as an intercessor with our Lord Jesus Christ. She is the mediator between us and Jesus, just as Jesus is the mediator between us and the Father, or I should say humanity and the Father. Just as, just as Jesus mediates between the Father and humanity, Mary mediates between us and Jesus Christ, who is the best of humanity. She is so loving that she rejects no one who begs her intercession, however sinful they may be. For as the saints say, never has it been heard since the beginning of the world that anyone had who had confident and persevering recourse to our Blessed Lady was rejected. She is so powerful that her petitions have never been denied. And we see this clearly played out in the marvelous account of the wedding feast at Cana where, where she, she, she sees, as a, as a good mother does, she sees what's taking place she pays careful attention to the details. Because often the devil is in the details. And Mary has been set up as the arch, arch enemy of the devil. And so she sees to the intricacies and the intimacies of our life to ensure that the devil in the details doesn't bring us down and to ensure that she overcomes and crushes the head of the devil on the details and ensures that everything works itself out, or that not, not works itself out, but that everything works out in accordance with the will of God through the intercession of Our Lady. In order to, at once, Our Lord grants whatever she asks, he is lovingly conquered. The Munford states, 
that our Lord is lovingly conquered by the prayers of his dearest mother, who bore him in her womb and nursed him at her breast. All this is drawn from St. Bernard and St. Bonaventure, so that, according to them, we have three steps to mount when we go to God. The first, nearest to us, and most suited to our capacity is Mary. The second is Jesus Christ, and the third is God the Father. To go to Jesus, we must go to Mary. She is our mediatrix of intercession. To go to God the Father, we must go to Jesus. He is our mediator of redemption. Now, in the devotion which I shall expound hereafter, this order is perfectly observed. On this note, we will end tonight's show. I've gone a little bit over, but I believe it was well worth it to finish this marvelous truth that we need a mediator with the capital M mediator, Jesus Christ. And we do have an order, a logical progression to Jesus through Mary. And the Munford doesn't talk about St. Joseph at this point in this particular work. However, it has been given to certain individuals that St. Joseph, that we would add to this progression um, of going to Mary to go to Jesus, to go to the Father. And this chain has an additional link. And that additional link is Joseph. To most appropriately espouse, to most appropriately consecrate ourselves to the Blessed Virgin Mary, we can look to Joseph just as we look to Mary. Mary we see Mary as our mother and model. Uh, and, and, and as mother, she intercedes, as mother, she procures grace for us. She intercedes for us and obtains grace for us. And as model, she is, the, she is the exemplar of how we are to live our lives. Mary becomes the great exemplar. Um, but as I will flesh out next week and in future episodes at much greater length, Joseph becomes an incredibly efficacious intercessor on our behalf and really is a tremendous model for our total consecration to the Immaculate Heart of Mary, specifically through his espousal of Mary's Immaculate Heart. Just as Joseph espoused Mary's heart and became one with her through his espousal of her Immaculate Heart, he, thereby, he, he, he consequently became one with our Lord Jesus through his spousal relationship with Mary. So we can actually say that Joseph is the additional link, that we turn to Joseph and look to him as our spiritual father. And uh, for he is, after all, the patron of the universal church, and that's not a coincidence. There's no coincidence. It's no coincidence that Joseph has been entrusted with the task of, of, of being the patron of the mystical body of Christ. In fact, it is precisely because 
he is the spouse of the Blessed Virgin Mary, it is precisely because he is the exemplar of one who is totally consecrated to Mary, whose heart, he is, he, is, he is truly one who has given his heart completely and unreservedly to the Blessed Virgin Mary through his spousal union with her. And she has met him in the same spirit, giving herself completely to him. So, the, just, so we know that Jesus is one, or, or Jesus is our mediator with the Father. Mary is our mediatrix with Jesus. And Joseph is our exemplar in terms of our total consecration to the Blessed Virgin Mary, who will intercede on our behalf and obtain for us all the graces we need to truly live out our total consecration to Mary. I thank you for listening this evening, and I ask St. Joseph, pray for us, obtain for us an awareness of your absolutely necessary role in our consecration to the Blessed Virgin Mary, your well-beloved spouse. Help us to understand the truth that Mary is our mediatrix with Jesus Christ. And that just as we need our Lord Jesus to be our mediator with the Father, so too we need Mary to be our mediator with Jesus. And we also need to look to you, Joseph, as one who has most perfectly consecrated himself to Mary, that we might imitate your espousal of Mary's immaculate heart and truly take her heart to our own and become one with her, just as she is, just as her heart is one with the sacred and Eucharistic heart of our Lord Jesus Christ. And just as the Father and just as the Son and the Father are one, the essence of sanctity is, is unity. And the, and the Holy Spirit is the principle of unification. He is the very love of God. May the Holy Spirit come down upon us and unite us to Jesus, Mary, and Joseph, the Holy Family, the terrestrial trinity, the earthly trinity, the perfect reflection of the glorious trinity in heaven. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, may the Lord bless us, protect us from every evil, and bring us to everlasting life. Amen. Good night. We hope you enjoyed the program, and will join us back for another show on WCAT Radio. This is Sebastian Mafud. Good day.